Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. Thank you, Jonathan and uh, worship team. Thank you, Pastor David, for the very kind introduction, and I really appreciate uh, your prayer for Pastor Newton. We are praying for him as well at this time, and um, boy, I'm excited to be with you. I, I wish he was here in good health, and um, you had the varsity version of, version of this talk, but uh, I'm thankful to fill in nonetheless and hopefully um, give you some, uh, some of what the Word says about this topic of membership. Uh, I love the series y'all are doing on Sunday nights. I love the idea of talking about the pure bride of Christ. And um, uh, you guys had uh, one of my, uh, another one of my good friends and a mentor of mine, um, Dr. Sam Shaw, in last week. I have no doubt that that was uh, edifying. Um, uh, Dr. Shaw has been a, one of the teachers in Downline Ministries for the last 13 years, and uh, always one of my favorite guys to hear exposit the Word. And I know that's what he was talking about, is the centrality of, or, of the Word in the, um, in the family of God in the church. So I know that was a blessing. Well, I wanted to... Um, uh, talk about this idea of membership. Now, interestingly enough, the passage that Hunter read uh, is the only passage you will find where the word member or, or the idea of membership is explicitly stated. And just to turn your attention to that again, um, I'm actually going to probably campus somewhere else tonight after uh, further thought. But uh, 1 Corinthians 12, the passage that was just read, the last verse that Hunter read, uh, just to highlight that again, said, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And uh, certainly we know there's a universal sense in which anyone who is um, in Christ, uh, who is saved by grace through faith, is a member of the body of Christ universally. But Paul is talking to a specific church, a church that's having some issues. Uh, this first letter is filled with rebuke. And one of the um, uh, areas of exhortation and rebuke is in this area of, of how they're using their spiritual gifts or how they're not using their spiritual gifts. And in this particular chapter, he's talking um, to the church about all the different gifts that God has given them. And in the same way, your body is made up of, of members and the, the, um, uh, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Uh, in the same way, in a local church, there is no one that is not needed. This has a specific local church application. Matter of fact, that was verse 27 that reads that way. You're the body of Christ and individual members of it. Well, back in verse 7, 20 verses previous, Paul stated, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So you've got a manifestation of the Spirit of God. You've got a gift. You are, you are spiritually gifted. Anyone that's in Christ uh, is spiritually gifted. And that gift that you've been given or gifts that you've been given are not merely for your own good. It says they're for the common good. And that's not just common in a universal sense. That's common in the sense of there's a local church body that will be encouraged, edified, built up spiritually if you put your gifts into action in that place, in that local display of the glory of God. And so um, there's this um, explicit mention of the word member, but implied within that is, um, uh, is the necessity of using our gifts for the common good. I want to talk about... Um, membership, again, uh, coming right through the front door of there's no, no passages that are going to explicitly teach it beyond maybe this explicit mention of it here. I do think um, when the New Testament talks about what the church is, 
um, uh, you'd be hard-pressed to, um, to take away membership and still act together faithfully as a church. I think that God has established um, uh, within his church, uh, well, well, he has clearly given us uh, many exhortations about how we're to live with one another. But those exhortations are hard to follow. They're hard to carry out. It's hard to be obedient to what God has explicitly told us if we don't have some clear delineation of who is in this local body and who isn't. Okay, so uh, let me give you um, three examples of that tonight, and uh, I hope this will be helpful. The first example uh, will come from, um, will come from uh, Hebrews. So if you want to turn with me to Hebrews 13, I was trying to decide which one to start with there. Let me start with Hebrews 13. You can just flip over to with me, Hebrews 13. I'm going to just look at one verse that, uh, that really packs a punch. It, it, is a, um, it is a verse that talks about how we're to relate from, uh, from pastor uh, to member in terms of the local body. Now, let, let me preface this by saying there is a passage in 1 Peter 5. We're not turning there right now. But there is a passage in 1 Peter 5 where um, Peter says that we are to, uh, speaking specifically to leaders, he, he's speaking to elders in First Peter 5. By the way, the word elder in the New Testament is, is the same word as pastor or overseer. So I understand that you guys have uh, two pastors here um, in Pastor David and Pastor Hunter. So those would be, uh, it, they are given this specific um, uh, command. It says in First Peter 5, they are to shepherd the flock well that is among them, to shepherd this flock well. And uh, before we get to our verse in Hebrews, let me just uh, let you picture that with me. I've never been a shepherd. Any shepherds in the house? Okay, I want to speak out of turn here, but um, uh, I've never really been around shepherds. I've seen them in action in some of my time in the Middle East, but, uh, but shepherds aren't doing it for the money. They're not doing it for the glory. Um, they are the low men on the totem pole in uh, their culture, always have been, and likely always will be because of the dirty nature of their profession. But, but everyone understands what makes a good shepherd versus a bad shepherd. A good shepherd is one that loves his sheep. Jesus uses this metaphor often in talking about himself as the good, the good shepherd, and of course he ultimately is. Any elder of a local church is merely an under-shepherd of the good shepherd. Um, but the, the, the first really requirement for any pastor, elder, overseer in um, how the Lord has designed his church is that there would be leaders who love the people. Now, you can't really love the people without knowing the people. It's not, I, don't think, I don't think he means just have a general love for a bunch of faces that might be in your membership directory. I think he means you got to actually know them to really love them. Uh, a shepherd and the sheep. You get the parable in Luke 15 about um, the one sheep that goes astray. And th- the point of that parable is not, hey, that's pretty good, 99 out of 100. The point in that parable is there's a sheep that went astray. And the good shepherd goes after the one, even though 99 are okay. The whole village is going to celebrate when the one is found that was lost. And so a pastor must know the sheep, where their fears are, um, uh, what's going on in their life, where they're susceptible to the enemy's attacks, uh, what doubts or struggles they may be having, what they're celebrating. Again, to carry out so much of the New Testament commands, we have to really be a body that knows one another. Well, it starts with leaders. Leaders shepherd the flock, meaning know them so that you can really love them, so that you can really lead them. Now, so far you're going, all right, that's great. That's for Pastor David and Pastor Hunter. We're still in the clear. Well, all right, Hebrews 13 is where it's a double-edged sword. Now he's going to talk to both uh, congregants, so to say, and the leaders, or those in the flock, the sheep, if you will, and the shepherds. So he says in chapter 13, verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. Again, that's what a good shepherd's doing. But look how, look how the Lord doubles down 
uh, in this next verse. Let them, I'm sorry, as those who will have to give an account. Y'all see that? Being in the, um, uh, the role of a pastor, David mentioned I'm a pastor at uh, Harvest Church. I, I'm telling you, this verse has kept me up so many nights. And I'm being very literal with you, very sincere. I have broken out in the sweats many a night thinking about, uh, are, we, are we really shepherding all of the sheep of Harvest Church well? Um, the, church, our, the, uh, the church at Harvest has grown significantly in, in our uh, first five years as a church. This has become increasingly hard to do. Uh, I actually talked about this with our body this morning. Uh, this is one of the great challenges in this season, but, but size is no excuse uh, for faithfulness in this area, that uh, we will have to give an account. Um, we have a rather thorough membership process. The reason is, um, uh, I, we can't, as pastors and elders of Harvest Church, we can't take on giving an account for someone's soul unless they're going to uh, do what this says. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you, unless they are going to make it easy for us to know them and love them and shepherd them and disciple them. Like, th- like, like this is a command for all of us. Leaders, you're going to have to give an account, all right, for every single one of the sheep in that flock. You're going to have to be able to give an account to God for the spiritual welfare of every sheep in the flock. That's intimidating. That scares me. But flock, make it easy on them. How do you think you do that? How do you make it easy for the pastor? So you're in a body, and proportionally, maybe, it, maybe it's similar to what we face. There's, there's two pastor elders of this body who must give an account for every single one of you guys. And I don't know how many total members there are in this church, but I'm sure that's, that's quite a responsibility for these two men. And, uh, but you have a responsibility. You are to uh, make this a joy for them. And let me just kind of read between the lines. You, you've got you've to be one that's... Um, that stays in the flock. What makes a sheep hard to shepherd? It's always wandering off. It's always drifting. It can't be found. Nobody knows where it is. Or the shepherd just, you know, there's always Fluffy who lags behind and I got to go looking after him. That's, that's not making it easy on the shepherd to give an account. So as a member, the first thing that you've got to go is, hey, I've got I've to not drift I've got to stay in the flock. I need to be known. Hebrews 10, I'm not going to forsake the gathering of the assembly. I'm going to be in, you know, in a church of this size, um, the ability to be there on a Sunday and to, um, to have a conversation with Pastor David or Pastor Hunter, uh, to give an update on your week, um, uh, to shoot an email and say, hey, could you be praying for me about this? Um, if y'all have, uh, to be at Sunday nights, to doing what you're doing right now, you're not being hard to, to, uh, to be found. You're right here. Uh, the pastors see you. They know you. They know you're okay. They know where you are spiritually. So both leaders and flock have a responsibility. Now, now here's my, my first point I want to make. I don't know how we would shepherd well without membership. In other words, who are Pastor David and Pastor Hunter responsible for? Is it, um, is it those who have declared formal membership and those who are visiting and those who visit sometimes and those who have ever visited? Well, I don't think so. Like, like they're going to have to give an account to God for a specific flock that somehow everyone knows is this flock. Well, I don't know. Again, membership not explicitly stated other than the mention of 1 Corinthians 12 that we read, but I think that this text presumes that there is some kind of formal 
covenant made. There's, there's some kind of declaration made of we are a part of this flock. We are willing to be submitted to your leadership. And that's, a, that's, a, that's publicly known. You're, you're on the inside, not the outside. Um, in fact, I'm not going to talk much about church discipline tonight, but that is one of the other areas, uh, both in Matthew 18 um, and in 1 Corinthians uh, 5, where um, um, uh, Jesus talking and then Paul talking both talk about um, uh, taking an issue of an unfaithful brother to the church. What do they mean? Am I supposed to just post that on social media? No, I'm supposed to go to a, a group of people marked out as a certain flock that this brother or sister has been in, and is a, again, after taking steps of Matthew 18, after confronting this uh, brother of a sin, of doing so with another, finally, if he's hard-hearted and unwilling to repent, I go to a marked-out flock that this brother's been a part of to grieve together and then now treat him as a tax collector or Gentile, which doesn't mean um, we ignore him. It means we're now sharing the gospel with him. It means we're now praying for his salvation. We're praying for his repentance and return to this fold, to this flock, as happened to the, the Corinthian um, apostate who comes back and is received into the body and receives uh, the mercy of God through that chastening to repentance. Um, so there, there, again, how could we really carry out church discipline if there's no membership? Um, how could we really uh, submit to it? What leaders are you supposed to submit to? If you're not clearly marked out as a part of this flock, if, you, if you're on an airplane tomorrow for work and you meet a guy and he tells you he's pastor of a church in Oklahoma, are you to submit to his leadership? No, no, of course not. So to do this, somehow there has to be some way that is recognizable. We call it membership. Um, I believe you guys do too. Recognizable way where you are declaring, I belong to this particular flock. Pastor David right there, Pastor Hunter, they have spiritual oversight. They're going to give an account to God for me, and I'm going to make that a joyful process to them in every way I can. And I'm thankful to have those who are praying for me, looking out for me, wanting to nurture my soul, protecting me from false doctrine. What a, what a gift that is. You can see why God designed the church in such a way, because he cares about us. As a matter of fact, membership, I believe, is for our own protection and our maturity. If I were to give you two overlaying 30,000-foot uh, words, it would be protection and maturity. Colossians 1 comes to mind that we are ultimately trying to present everyone mature in Christ. It's real hard to do that if we don't know who's a part of the flock and who's not. Chasing a lot of sheep that aren't even submitted to your leadership and things get cr pretty crazy, crazy and disorienting. But if there's a clear flock, if there's a clear covenant of belonging, if there's a clear submitting to uh, your leaders and there's a clear... Um, um, responsibility of those leaders to give an account to God before you, now we can intentionally pursue the maturing of every single one uh, in the flock. Okay, so the first area is that of shepherding. And by the way, you see that last little phrase there? Uh, let them do so with, with joy, not with grace, for that would be no, of no advantage to you. The idea, if you were making that hard for them, if you were one that was um, in and out of attendance and just kind of when they send you an email or uh, send out for prayer requests, you just don't respond or you just kind of, you know, say, I kind of like my privacy. I don't really want to, you know, I'll be known on a Sunday morning. I'll shake a hand, but I don't really want to be known beyond that. I don't want to have any um, real heart conversations. Then uh, the text says that's no advantage to you. That may be a human tendency. In fact, I think it is in my life. I'll tend towards isolation. Um, uh, I'm an extrovert, by the way. I like meeting people, talking to people. I get energy for that. But on Sunday morning, when I'm just meeting tons of people, sometimes I want to just retreat. I certainly don't want to air everything going on in my life and all my struggles and sin and confess to all of them. I mean, no, I'd rather tend towards isolation. 
And there's a great danger in that. And, and by the way, I, I don't do that, uh, thankfully for their sake, with the whole body at harvest every Sunday morning. But there are a group of them. I've got a small group that uh, my wife and I are a part of that we meet regularly with for that very reason, for the purpose of making sure that we're in a place where we are being known so that we can really be loved for our own sake. It would be no advantage for us to drift. First uh, Peter 5 talks about the enemy in, uh, in, the, uh, uh, in way of him being a... Uh, a lion, a uh, prowling lion who is always looking for someone to destroy. I don't know if you guys ever watched the Discovery Channel. My boys are really into that. And, uh, and, and usually when we turn it on, it's not long before there's, you're you know, in the um, Sahara Desert or wherever it is. You're, you're somewhere in um, Africa or Asia, and they're, they're showing the lions prowling on the hunt. I guess it's usually the lionesses or hunting. And... Um, and you watch, you watch them work together. It's kind of a team hunt, and, and they've got this huge group of gazelle or whatever it may be, antelope maybe, and, uh, and they kind of hone in on that group. And then one of them kind of jumps and scares the group this direction, and then another one kind of comes out over here and scares them back, and then another comes out here, until finally one gets disoriented and he takes off this way and the rest of the group goes this way. And you don't have to have the guy with the British accent talking to you. I mean, you can have that thing on mute, and you know that in that moment, the guy that took off right, that, that one's, that one's going to die. You know it. <clears throat> because those lionesses, what they know is, if we can isolate one out of the pack, we got dinner. And, um, and Satan knows the same thing of the people of God. It, the, his great, if you want to know God's design for your life, it's for you to be declared as of belonging to a certain flock with spiritual oversight of good and godly men who give an account for your soul. That's what God thinks is healthy for you. What Satan wants to see you do is removed from that fellowship. He wants you to drift into isolation so that he can attack and devour and bring destruction in your life. Um, so again, our flesh tends towards isolation, but that's no advantage to you. Understand that. Um, D.L. Moody, some of y'all may know that name. I really, uh, he's just kind of one of my heroes, obviously, that I've not met, but read about 20th century evangelist, um, had a large role in pioneering the growth of the YMCA. And I just love his story. But um, there's, a, uh, there's a story told uh, of his life where um, he heard that uh, very, there was a uh, Christian philanthropist in the Chicago area who claimed to be a believer and did all of his giving in the name of the Lord. And I even think he was partnering with D.L. Moody in some of the things the Y were doing. But he wasn't a part of any local church. That, that bothered D.L. Moody enough to where D.L. Moody went over uh, one evening on a winter night to talk to him about that. And they sat down, and by the way, this man, one of the most influential men in uh, Chicago, very uh, wealthy man, um, very uh, uh, red man, intellectual man, they sat down, and they're having this conversation. Eventually, Dale Moody kind of turned it towards um, the idea of the church and, and the significance of the church and importance of it. And this guy said, um, Moody, save your breath. You and I both know that I can be just as good of a Christian apart from the church as I can belonging to the church. And Moody uh, sat in silence and uh, just kind of scratched that long goatee he had, just kind of ran his hand through it for a while. And uh, they were having to be sitting in front of a, uh, a fire on a, on a winter night that was, um, that was crackling in front of them. And uh, without saying anything, there was kind of a long pause, and, and D.L. Moody got up and he took some tongs and he took one uh, ember from that fire and he pulled it out and he set it on the brick hearth just a few feet away. And he laid the tongs down and he sat back down and the man kind of looked at him peculiarly, wondering if this was intentional or what he was doing. And uh, over the next few minutes, as this fire crackled and roared, that one ember flamed out. And the man said, I see your point. It's for our own protection 
that we state clearly that we are willing to covenant together with a group of believers under the oversight of pastor elders who will give an account for our soul before God. It's for our own protection. It's for our own good. It's of no advantage to you to drift into isolation. Okay, so that's the first reason I want to implore you towards membership for your own protection and uh, in your own maturity. And uh, let, me, let me piggyback on that second piece of maturity and talk about um, and give you another text that I think is, uh, speaks to the idea, um, the implicit um, uh, need for membership in the church. Uh, and that's 1 Peter uh, chapter 4. So I've been all around this text tonight. I've quoted from 1 Peter chapter 5, um, but not 4. So let me show you here in, in chapter 4. There, there's actually several places in Scripture that are just... They all say the same thing about how we're supposed to live amidst one another. And I really don't see how it's possible without some designated way to know who's a part of the, the, the local church gathering that you're a part of. This one here, of course, at Lucy Baptist. And this is one of them. First Peter chapter 4, verse 7 says this. The end of all things is at hand. By the way, that's meant to be an encouragement. Um, it, it really is. It, it, it's meant to be the idea that in a sin-stained world, which is weighty, um, with um, our own sin and our own selfishness uh, and our own pain and sickness and cancer and um, uh, all the things going on in this world that, uh, that are confusing, frustrating, or tragic, um, we're meant to remember that the end of all things is at hand, that Jesus Christ is redeemer and he will come back and ultimately redeem all that is broken. Um, uh, this story started in a garden and it's going to end in a garden. We will be in a new Jerusalem around the throne of God for all of eternity. Uh, he is going to fix what has been broken uh, through sin. So the end of all things is at hand. Uh, the end is near. It's good. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. The idea is um, don't uh, uh, placate your, um, your fears or your pain or your struggle um, with, uh, with just hedonism um, uh, or worldliness. Like be self, like in light of eternity is a long time in the presence of God, and we're living just a few days. Be wise um, in these days, Ephesians 4 will say. Don't, uh, don't live as uh, merely one who seeks earthly pleasure, and don't live merely to build your kingdom on earth. Be wise, be sober-minded, uh, be self-controlled for the sake of your prayers. And then he says above all, verse 8, keep loving one another earnestly. Okay, let me go ahead and, and tell you, I think the second reason we need membership is for the sake of biblical community. Community is a word, buzzwords tossed around a lot in the, uh, well, everywhere. Every, everybody's about community, and I think it's almost lost uh, some of its um, sharpness of what it really means. I think from Acts 2 forward in the New Testament church, we get a picture of biblical community being the people of God, um, really being in one another's lives. Okay, again, first expression of the church after Pentecost, 3,000. They can't really do that, can they? They're thrust into community. They're going to live together, share all their belongings, under the apostles' teaching, breaking bread in their homes. Like that, like they, they, just, it's, it, it, they don't need to be alone. They need to be together. They need to have this sense of real, authentic relationships. Now, you and I, we can't have those kinds of relationships with all Christians, obviously, around the world. But we need to have them with some. We need to be in a place where we can be around those who are like-minded and practice doing this right here. Love one another earnestly. Now, I know we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We don't only love one another. But this idea of loving earnestly, let me tell you that word earnestly. I did a, a study on this word. 
And it really, it really has three connotations. The earnestly, it, my first thought was just sincerely, and it does mean that, but it means more than that. It means exhaustively, unconditionally, and sacrificially. Now, I can't love everyone like that. But Peter's exhorting believers, saying, hey, um, in the context of a local body, there's going to have to be some folks that you are loving earnestly. Go back to that shepherd. I can't love somebody unless I really know them. Um, I, don't know, I don't know how large the body is at Lucy, if this is a possible across the entire body, or you need to be in smaller groups within this body. Maybe it's a little bit of both. I will say, um, when I walked into this church tonight, I told Pastor David, I said, boy, I love the feel of this church. And you know what it reminds me of? This is just nostalgic, but I, um, I spent my summers growing up in, um, in, in Texas. Uh, my grandparents lived on a ranch down there. And uh, even though I'm a city boy, I always, always uh, wished I was a country boy. I love being out there. I love being with uh, cattle and on the horses and just working the land. And I, and I, and I love my grandpa. He was, um, I just, just loved him so much and loved being out there, especially when him and my dad and I, I had two sisters. But when I was with my dad and my granddad on the ranch, there was nowhere I would rather be. I spent a lot of time out there, and my, my grandfather um, nor my father were either one of them were spiritual men at all, and they did not go to church. But my grandmother um, always she wouldn't miss church; like that was a big deal. On Sunday morning, we were out the door, um, usually working uh, down at the chicken houses first. Had twenty five thousand chickens, and so we were in the chicken house from about five thirty till about seven forty five ish, and then you were usually working with the cattle around eight till about ten. And about that point, about ten o'clock, I would hear my grandmom's voice hollering for me. And, um, and it didn't matter that I was covered in feathers and fertilizer and dirt and manure. She was hollering in no uncertain terms that I better get my hind end in the truck and we're headed to church. And so um, uh, I would jump in and, and no chance to clean up. We would go um, to a place that was the nearest church, I think. It was about 25 minutes away. And it was called Harwood United Methodist Church. And um, now y'all don't hold it against them that they're United Methodist. Um, I, these people love Jesus. And I'll go in there, and, and this kind of reminds me. It was a sweet, sweet, spirited place. They had pews like this. I would walk in the back. I always felt so bad being so dirty, except for the fact that everyone else was too. As a matter of fact, I probably would have felt weird being clean. All, everyone had been put in a full morning's work, and they came in, all the farmers and their overalls and boots and, and their wives, and, uh, and there was a hat rack going across the back wall, and, uh, and it was just a bunch of cowboy hats lined up all the way across the wall. And, um, and Pastor Leonard Shanklin is such a dear man, was the pastor of this, um, this flock. He was also the principal of the high school. And, um, and so Pastor Shanklin, was, there was usually about 12 to 20 folks in worship. And, um, and he would start, he would just um, uh, start by saying, hey, let's bless the Lord in worship. We'd sing a song or two. And then uh, he'd start talking to the people. First thing that struck me, this is long before I ever was called to ministry, was how well he knew his people. And he would just talk, and he'd say, Farmer Brown, which was legitimately the name of one of the men in the body, um, he'd say, Farmer Brown, now, what was going I drove past your place on Thursday. What were, they, what were y'all doing over there? And he'd just start talking, and, you know, a couple minutes in, we'd all know what was going on at Farmer Brown's. Then he'd say, now, Lena Rose, I heard, and I don't know if this is true, but I heard through somebody that your daughter was battling an illness. Now, how is she doing now? And he'd talk about that, and he'd literally just talk to most everybody in there, and then he'd kind of finish talking and say, now, is there anybody else that has something to, to share that, that we wouldn't otherwise know is going on in your life? Now, I noticed something. In this group of 12 to 20, by about 20, 30 minutes into service, we all knew what was going on in everybody's life. I had to share, even though I didn't want to. They'd ask me to share what was going on in my life. And then when we were finished, um, Pastor Shanklin would go around, and he, he, he or uh, one or two of the um, 
uh, other leaders that would pray over the, the folks. We literally pray about everything we just heard about. And then before we even got to the message, he would, we'd have some practical application about how we're going to love one another earnestly. He'd say, in light of what we heard, hey, it sounds like Farmer Brown could use a few of us this week to help, help him finish that project up. He said, I, I, guys, I can do Tuesday or Wednesday night. Let's just take a vote. How, how many can do Tuesday night? Four? How many can do Wednesday? Seven? Wednesday night it is. Let's meet at Farmer Brown's six o'clock Wednesday night. And it was like, all right, I guess I'm going to be at Farmer Brown's Wednesday night at six o'clock. Like, immediate action to loving one another earnestly. Like, like we couldn't do that for everyone, but within the household of God, we were going to love, we were going to know each other so we, we could exhaustively, sacrificially, and unconditionally love one another. And I love the way Pastor Shanklin led that. In fact, 1 Peter 5 said, you be an example among them. And that's what he was. He showed us how to love one another earnestly. And the second thing the text says, not just to love earnestly, he says, um, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. By the way, I think this is a picture of biblical community. Loving earnestly, showing hospitality. I don't know what you guys think of when you think of hospitality, but I always think of home. I know there's ways to be hospitable that, that don't necessarily um, involve your home, but I think that's a central way. It certainly was in Jewish culture. But I think the idea is if it, it, it's probably opening our homes, but if not our homes, it's opening our lives. It's inviting folks in to our personal space. It's seeking relational intimacy. It's taking that which God has given me and opening it up to be a blessing to others. And again, I think centrally it's opening our homes. It's having meals. It's having folks... Uh, around your table for the, for the sake of building intimacy. Um, Jesus was the best at that. He was always eating with the sinners. That's what drove the Pharisees mad because eating was a sign of intimacy, that you wanted real relationship. Well, I think biblical community means we are, we are after one another. We are loving earnestly. Till you're, have you guys ever been exhausted from the way you've loved, been loving each other on a week? Now, I know sometimes it's exhausting loving your spouse, all right? I've only been married 13 years, but I figured that out. My wife does it a lot better than I do. But I'm talking about even beyond her, even beyond your, your, uh, your children that you may have in your home. What about, what about this body, this bride of Christ that, that, that is represented right here? Could it be said of you that you love them exhaustively, like till you're just worn out? And that you show hospitality without groaning? Because my first thought on the hospitality, hey, Ken, you need to be hospitable. We need to have, and I'm thinking, man, I got five children, Pastor David. My, my youngest is a two-month-old, and we're not getting any sleep right now. And others are involved in all kind of extracurriculars. And I mean, we almost have no nights. And you know what I'm doing right now? I'm, I'm grumbling. <laughs> I'm doing what the text says don't do. He says, show hospitality without grumbling. And the only way you do this is, is in light of where we started. Hey, the end is near. We have a brief moment to pour our lives out for one another for the sake of Christ. So we joyfully submit to leaders. We love till we're exhausted. We show hospitality uh, without grumbling. And then he says one more thing here. He says, as each has received a gift. So we're going back to Corinthians here. He says, take that gift and use it to serve one another. That was what Hunter read, 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, 12 through 27. Use that gift for the edification of others as good stewards of God's varied grace. The idea of God's varied grace is in this room right here, you guys have a myriad of gifts. Isn't that neat to think about? Pastor David, I've already heard a few of his gifts. I've seen his empathy and compassion. Um, uh, I'll go ahead and assume he can teach the word. You guys probably wouldn't be here, but I've also heard the man can sing. Did y'all know he can sing? I've always wished I could sing, um, but I, I enjoy when I'm around someone that can really sing. Uh, that's a gift. Listen, um, each one of us have gifts, and here's what happens when we use our gifts 
Not only are we able to serve one another in a way that edifies them, but it makes much in stewardship of God's varied grace. It means God is the giver of good gifts. By his grace, he's bestowed upon us different gifts, and when we use them, it glorifies the giver. It makes much of God's kindness to us, that he would know that we are meant to be a body tied together. He gives different gifts so that we can be edified within, uh, amidst one another because he loves us. Again, this is God's idea of what the church is meant to be, a people who are marked out somehow, submitted to leaders that they know, the leaders that know them will give an account to them, who will love one another till they're exhausted, who will open their homes and be in fellowship together and pursue relational intimacy, who will take the gifts God's given them and serve one another. Now, we can't do that just with every Christian on earth. We can be kind, we can encourage, we can have meaningful conversations, maybe even meaningful experiences, but to live that way happens through belonging to a local community. Uh, We call that membership. I don't know if you have to call it membership. Some prefer another word, but there's got to be some kind of formal commitment to practice these things amidst a group of people who have covenanted together. Um... I think that uh, sometimes we, we see some of these things and we think, we kind of treat it like baseball. My boys really love baseball. My, my older three are crazy into baseball guy. I mean, they're crazy. and they, they follow every player and every stat. And I mean, they know so many things. I can't even get my mind around it. But sometimes I think we treat the local church. We look at this and go, love earnestly, hospitality, and, and um, service. You know, we did have someone over to, for dinner last week. We were one for three, and that's pretty good if, if you're a baseball player. You know, you bat 300 for a career, you're going to be a Hall of Famer. But in the church of Jesus Christ, um, we're not meant to go one for three. <laughs> in light of how far Christ has gone for us, we're meant to lay our lives down. This is just telling us how to do it. How, how do I lay my life down for these brothers and these sisters? Well, you love them until you're exhausted. Invite them into your home, display hospitality, use your specific creative gifts God's given you and find a way to use those to encourage one another. This is how we live. This is Jesus' idea. By the way, I love the, the pure bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, what a passage that shows that that's what we are, melted together, bonded together by the blood of Christ, that we're his bride. And that passage talks about husbands loving their wives in these same ways, unconditionally, sacrificially. And it says that um, the husbands present the um, bride Um, pure uh, and blameless, uh, it says, without wrinkle or stain or any other blemish. Uh, Yet again, something I fail constantly on, thankful for the mercy of God. I don't even understand fully what that means. I just know I'm failing. But uh, let me me say that um, that last verse where Paul gets to verse 30 and says, now I'm going to tell you something that's a mystery. I'm talking here about Christ in the church. This idea of... uh, of, of being a church where everyone's growing to maturity, where we're loving each other exhaustively. Um, if you were wanting to really provoke me to anger, and I hope you're not, but if you were saying, you know, I just really don't like this guy. I, I want to, you know, I, I want to pick a fight with him in the parking lot. I'll go and tell you how you do it. Um, I'm, generally, if you say bad things about me or my preaching, it won't bother me. Um, uh, it's probably mostly true at that point. But if you start talking about my wife, we'll have some issues. Um, I cherish her. Uh, I love her beyond measure. Um, anything you'd be saying at that point would not be true anyway. Um, but you'd be seeing me, uh, 
the blood would get, uh, get to my face. I'd be rolling up my sleeves. If you're going to be talking bad about her um, or disdaining her, then uh, boy, those become fighting words. And, and again, we're talking about the bride of Christ. And uh, when we neglect the bride, I don't think it's merely something that is selfish in nature that has consequences on our own walk with Christ. I think that uh, that is something that provokes our Lord to anger. Why would we want to do that? Our Lord Jesus, who we just sung about, who has gone to the cross for our sake, who by his finished work are we saved, um, he's asked us to be the bride, and in being the bride, get this, this is the profound mystery that we must experience. We are the tangible love of Christ, the hands and feet of Christ to one another, and we receive the love of Christ through one another. We're to love exhaustively. We're to be hospitable without groaning or grumbling. We're to serve, use our gifts for the common good. This is how we are to be the bride of Christ, so that the bride can be presented without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. I want to agree with Christ on that. I want to give my life towards that. And so I would just give you these three things. I think membership is uh, presumed and implied throughout the New Testament through shepherding. If we're going to shepherd well, we've got to know who's a member and who's not. Through community. Um, there, there, there can only be so many people I can, I can practice this obediently to. And we find that in the midst of a few in a local church. And then through serving. Where Hunter began us in 1 Corinthians that you have gifts. And Peter ended there. Paul in Corinthians said, you take your gifts. God has given them to you and you use them for the edification of the whole. Use them for the common good. There's no one in this room that's unneeded. No one in this room who's unneeded. I'll just finish reading again um, that verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. How are members to act? They're to submit themselves joyfully to leaders, make it easy on them to know who you are and where you are so they can give an account for your soul. They're to love exhaustively. They're to open their homes and be hospitable without grumbling. And they're to figure out what you... And by the way, if you're going, I just don't know what my gifts are, that's a great... That's something that I guarantee you one of your pastors would love to probe with you. Would love to think about what possibly you could serve that meets a need in our church that would bless and love and mature these people. That'd be, a, that'd be an incredible conversation to have if you haven't figured that out yet. But that's what we're meant to do is members in the body of Christ. Hey, let me pray uh, for you guys uh, this evening that um, God would help you to be faithful in that endeavor as members, that he'd be glorified in that. And, and frankly, uh, the church, as much as it is for our maturity and our protection, ultimately it's for the glory of God. And so we want this community here, and that's one thing Pastor David said, we're a church tucked into this little community. That's what he said to me on the phone. And I was driving through this little community on the way to this church, just uh, saw some kids playing out in the yard, saw some people walking, and, and just thought, I wonder what these people think of the folks at Lucy. And here's what I'll tell you. I don't know the answer to that. You guys will know better than I, but here's what I'll tell you. If you, if you live like we're talking about tonight, if you practice these things with one another, then here's what they'll think. They won't think, as the world often does of the church, as a bunch of hypocrites that think they're better than everybody else or a bunch of religious folk. That, you know, that they won't think those traditional stereotypes. They'll think, that's an, that's an interesting thing happening over there. There are people of different ages, um, uh, different races, um, different backgrounds, um, and they, no matter what 
otherwise divides them, it's like they have some kind of common bond because they love each other to the point of exhaustion. We always see them being uh, kindly with one another. We see them in each other's homes. We see them building relationships. We see them serving one another. And there's meant to be a display of the transforming power of the gospel that's just, just unveiled for the community to see and a desire birthed in them. I wish I could be a part of a community like that. So the truth is we all long for that. We all long to, tr- to be truly known and truly loved. And that's where the good news is now on a tee. That's where it's teed up and you can take a hack. That's where you share the gospel and your words have weight to them because they see how you live amidst one another. And they say, now, wait a minute, you're saying I can be a part of that? You say, yeah. It, um, it wasn't my ACT score that got me into Lucy Baptist. Uh, it wasn't any, any good deed that I did uh, in this community. It was merely a recognition of my brokenness, the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, a surrendering of my life to his lordship, declaring my belonging in a group that's committed to love me and uh, oversee my soul, and I get to give my gifts to serve them, and joyfully we are the people of God being transformed by the gospel. You get to share the gospel. Balls on a tee if you'll live like this. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions, or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.